Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey, Alarmy. Before we get started, we wanted to make sure you heard the big news. The Alarmist has joined Patreon. Patreon subscribers will get access to our content ad-free, as well as our aftermath post-interview discussion and final verdict. We'll also be putting out additional bonus episodes and other fun stuff. Here's a preview of Guest Alarmist, where I step aside and let a guest walk us through a personal tragedy, and together the Alarmist crew figures out who's to blame. This month, Alex Paul discusses the Beverly Hills Hotel Heist. The promise of a free vacation. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's good. I, I mean, like that. Nothing in the world, this world is free. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Nothing in this world is free. And and that's what kind of made us dig deeper is like we had no money. We were broke. This seemed like a little fun opportunity and we could not let it go. Mm-hmm. We wanted it to happen. We couldn't just be like, no, we're not Peter. We're not on the reservation. Goodbye. Turn around. We were like, no, like this is our one little freebie fun thing. Like we should have it. We you know like it's like maximizing like on sales, you know, when, when there's an, an offer, you can't let it go. Yes. You can't let it yeah. go. Yeah. I, I know I can't let it go. And apparently <laughs> Alex also I can can't let it go. I love letting offers go. <laughs> I love when offers come along and I'm just like, nope, no, not gonna no, take it. I'm not gonna take it. Go to patreon.com slash the alarmist and subscribe today. Now on to our episode. Each week, we decide who's to blame for a historical tragedy. And each week, you tell us if we got it right. My name is Rebecca Delgado-Smith, and this is The Aftermath. The Aftermath. 
everyone. Thanks for tuning into this episode of The Aftermath. Today, we're speaking with guest expert Sam Scott. Sam is a senior writer for Stanford Magazine and has written extensively about the Thanksgiving Day disaster. Let's hear what he has to say. Hi, Sam. Thank you so much for joining us today. Yeah, happy to be here. So we noticed that there has been or there hasn't been much coverage throughout the years on the Thanksgiving Day disaster, even though it's one of the deadliest sporting disasters in U.S. history. What drew you to write about it? And why isn't this disaster more well known? So I'm a writer for Stanford Magazine. And that job entails sometimes reading other people's manuscripts. So I, a number of years ago now, I was reading a story by someone writing about something that happened at Stanford in the year 1900, and they just happened to reference it as the same year as this disaster where 20 people died plus. And like, I just stopped in my tracks at that moment. I'm like, what? (laughs) And I'm like, you know, I'm a history buff. I'm a sports buff. I grew up in the Bay Area and I never heard anything like this. And so I I dropped that manuscript immediately and just Googled things uh, and found out, you know, very quickly the, the, the bare bones of the story, you know, 20 plus people dying watching a football game and as to why that's not well known i mean there's probably a, a layering of reasons but partly i think life was a lot cheaper in the year 1900 than it is today wow so can you walk us through the history of the big game how did it uh, get its start and how popular was it by 1900 so big game is birthed nine years before, more or less at the beginning of the birth of Stanford University. They almost immediately have a football team. Berkeley, Cal, is slightly older as a university, but they're natural rivals. So I think in 18, uh, oh my God, 92, I think in the fall, sorry, the spring is the first mashup of the two. And initially there's two in one year. So that kind of takes off the numbers. But by 1900, that is the 10th meeting of these two. And it's, it's, popular off the bat. Um, Herbert Hoover, who's later president, is like the team manager. And one of those early years talks about like counting mountains of money from either the first or the second game. You know, it's instantly the biggest event, as they often say, on the Pacific Coast. Now, the, the game had had some problems with overcrowding prior to the Thanksgiving Day disaster. What what were they? And did they yeah. was there any attempt to fix these issues? Well, um, so first of all, the game was held for the first, up until the year 1900, it was held in San Francisco because neither school had a stadium big enough for this event. Hmm. Um, So it would be in San Francisco, big city, even then. And there were crowd issues. So specifically in 1897, big game, also on Thanksgiving. um, And you have lots of kids just clambering into the stadium or into the grounds. And specifically they were climbing up on these roofs that were built for the purpose of like keeping out water and sun. I mean, they were just built for that game. And right as the game's about to end, I think about two minutes left, these roofs collapse, all these kids fall down onto the grandstands. There's lots of coverage about bloody heads and people unconscious. And I think only as it as it ends up, only one kid, 10 year old goes to the hospital. But it's a real like foreshadowing of what, what kind of happens. Um, you know, there's lots of references in the papers that only a sort of a miracle stopped this from being much, much more serious. Um, 
and you know, does anything happen? I think some things might have happened, but clearly the lessons weren't fully learned. Um, you know, to to get onto what happens in 1900, this does not involve people in the stadium. Whatever did happen that day, nobody was really people were successfully kept out. It's just the broader implications weren't reckoned with. Right. How how difficult was it to obtain a ticket to this game? How sought after were they? Um, well, the articles from you know the 1900 big game talk about these were every nook and cranny filled in the entire thing. It's something like 19,000 people, which those papers are given to exaggeration, but I think that's it seems like it was just truly, truly jammed. Um, the hottest ticket and uh, simply a standing room only ticket would have cost you one dollar, which sounds like nothing. But if you adjust for inflation, that's probably in the neighborhood of $40. So it's a, a lot of money just to stand in a standing room only uh, situation, which becomes you know doubly relevant here because you've got children who one probably don't have that money and two if they did are they going to pay it for a standing room only seat where they're not going to or a position where they're not going to even see the game very well yeah can, can you give us some backstory on the san francisco and pacific glassworks building uh how new was this glass plant and how safely was it built did they well, have any of that in mind yeah, I don't know about OSHA in 1900 or something. In terms of, <laughs> I can't say the, the the factory was new. It's like literally on the north side of the stadium. As you see photos from the day, it's like the next building. Um, it hadn't quite opened yet. It had a huge furnace with thousands of gallons of molten glass in it, but they were bringing it up to temperature for opening, official sort of opening of operations was going to be like the next week. Hmm. So it hadn't even officially kind of gone into production yet. But yeah, you know, for purposes of just getting that furnace to like its desired temperature of something like fifteen thousand degrees, um, it had been uh, sort of in pre-operations. As to sort of like you know the the, the regulatory oversight of things like that, I, I don't know anything about that, but I wouldn't imagine it was close. Yeah. Now, had the glass plant administration run into any issues in before the game uh, about? spectators trying to get access to the game and if so how, how did they uh plan to deal with it hmm. well i there's lots of contradictory statements after the fact there is um the treasurer of the stanford student body said that he'd warned uh the superintendent of the plant that this was gonna a danger and that he had given him given him something like six tickets uh in return for sort of a promise to to work hard to keep people off the roof, um, so there had there was some sense that this could happen, and you've probably was stunningly obvious if you think about it from our perspective. Yeah, and we read that there had been a watchman that was hired to stop people from climbing up to the roof, but instead sold tickets for access. Is, is yeah, that well, there's a there's a few contradictory statements, but there's some statements in the papers that say the watchmen or watchmen, I think there's more than one, were offering uh, for the for 25 cents or the price of a steam, which is a, a beer, a San Francisco beer, mm. were letting people on the roof. Then there's denials about that. There's um, one account of some toughs chasing off one of the watchmen. So I think basically official record ends up being that there was a concerted effort to keep them off the roof and that they just were unable to sort of 
stem the tide of people. I see. How many people ended up gaining access to the to the roof? I think it's pretty clearly several hundred. I've seen numbers from like 400 to 200 quoted, but you can tell from photographs of the game that it's, you know, well over 100. Yeah. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Can you walk us through the events that happened once the game was underway? Okay, so the games, this is Thanksgiving Thursday, year 1900. I think the game doesn't start till, is it 2.30 or 3? People start assembling around 10. You know, it's the it's the place to be. Um, and again, uh, kids, people who can't get these tickets start looking for places and they start descending on uh, the factory. Um, the game kicks off. We're about 20 minutes into the action when this roof just collapses. And I should say that everybody had gathered on what's called a ventilator. So if you look at it, the pitch roof of a factory has a little pop top 
where the heat can escape. And that's the highest point, like a natural place for everybody to assemble, but it's probably also the, I guess, the weakest part of the roof. It's just a uprising for heat to escape. And so they're all lined up there. About 20 minutes into the game, it just collapses like a, you know, sort of opens up. The crowd disappears. But the game's going on and barely anybody notices because they're they're you know they're in the game. They they can see there's a sense, I guess, that something's happened, but you know, within the stadium with no means of communication, the game just continues. What happens once once the roof gives? Um I read accounts of a hundred uh people falling fell into the uh plant and some even fell onto the furnace what what was the fate of those who fell not not a good fate no <laughs> not a good fate so uh so the, i think this factory is about three stories high 45 50 feet high wow so they're falling just from that perch onto cement below if, if, sort of if they're lucky and if, the really unlucky ones fell onto the the bricks of the furnace itself which was you know, surface temperature about 500 degrees. Um, and then many of them, the way it worked out, other people would fall on top of them. Um, so you've got a combination of horrible burns. You've got falling from from death, you know, death from height. Um, it's, it's not a good kind of result, obviously. And there were actual workers who were in the building at the time who were helping some of these victims. Is that right? There's like a skeleton crew working the factory that day. And there's there's two guys specifically who are, um, you know, one almost get killed themselves by bodies falling on top of them. And then two, you know, they're the ones who are uh, using poles and and what they whatever they can to get bodies off of the furnace or to get, you know, people off the furnace. What was the authorities response to the emergency? Uh, how quickly were the victims tended to? Um, well, I mean, there's a lot of debate was at the time was about how quickly they responded to the building emergency, like the, the, the factory supervisor had said he had called police for help. And there's, there was a lot of contention about whether they came promptly or not, or whether he just got sort of the runaround in terms of, um, police coming. But I think once it fell through, it sounds like, you know, it was sort of all hands on deck to respond to it with, um, you know, firemen, firefighters, police coming the dead were and the and the the wounded were taken on you know any basically cart or hack or horse-drawn carriage was taken uh and used to take people to to hospitals and morgues sometimes carried on pieces of roof or whatever makeshift um stretcher there was available and and did the game ever stop while this was all happening no, when did, the, when the did game the never stopped. The out? game continued. And and one of the great bizarreness, the bizarre aspects of this, if you look at it with modern eyes, is that they almost just completely happened in parallel worlds. Wow. Uh, so the game never stopped. The game continued. The people celebrated uh, afterwards. And that's somewhat explainable by modern standards because, you know, they only knew so much. There was no cell phones, obviously. But that, that, that divide continues afterwards where you have... Um, sports celebrations about the greatest football game that year and there's just no mention at all of this thing that happens next door it's as if it's not even part of the same event which you know by modern standards we would we just wouldn't think that way at all 
Did the city in any way, I mean, were there articles written about it? Were people discussing what had happened? So this is front page news nationally. This is on the front page of the New York Times the next day. Oh, wow. Um, It's on the front page, of course, of all the local papers who are covering it in lurid detail. So there's a great deal of attention for one day. And then it disappears from the national press after one day, as far as I can tell. And then even in San Francisco, it is it's only about a week later that it just is never or, or hardly ever mentioned again. Um, the official inquest, I think, is on December 6th or 7th. So that's about a week afterwards. Um, and that after that, there's very little follow up at all. Was there anyone ever brought to trial for for this tragedy or did the, the families of the victims ever receive any compensation? Uh, no, maybe this gets to my earlier point about life being cheaper. Uh, so there's an inquest, I think it's a civil inquest, so it was never going to be criminal if I got that right. And basically at the end of it, they uh, place all blame on the victims who never should have been on the roof, um, that, uh, they had no one to blame but themselves is essentially, you know, what it said. And, um, and that's sort of shocking on its face when you have 23 dead, but it's also shocking when you consider that most of the victims were very young. I mean, the youngest victim was nine. The average age is probably about 13 or 14. So we're not talking about like, you know, full adults who you might think, hey, you you got to really reckon with the risks here. These were, these were kids just responding to events. Now, were there any public safety changes that came about after this tragedy? Um, and, and, and in your opinion, how important is it that we continue to remember what happened? Uh, as far as I can tell, almost nothing happens as a result of this, which is sort of the tragedy, mainly wow. what makes it interesting. Um, there is a reference uh, in one of the articles to Chicago considering a ban on rooftop uh, spectators as a result which is sort of ironic because in modern ways, I, I think of Wrigley Field and rooftop spectators. That's the only place I really think of them <laughs> in Chicago. Um, and there's very little I could find to say that anybody changed anything. Um, you, It doesn't happen again. So on some level, you feel like some lesson was learned, right? There, there was that thing in 1897 when the grandstands collapsed. And then in the 1900s, there's this awful thing that happens. Um, there is no third part of that like trend as far as I know. So some lesson seems to have been like absorbed, but whether that was through some sort of rule or law, I, I kind of doubt it. it. Didn't seem to be the what was happening. So we always ask our guest experts this question. Um, finally, at the end of the day, if if you had to pick a person or thing, it could be a concept that you think is to blame for the Thanksgiving Day disaster. Who or what would that be? Um, I guess I would have to come back to just almost a very boring answer, but a, it, it's sort of a cultural value of the day that, like, like I said in the beginning, that life was cheap. Like, mm. you know, there are articles written the next day, sports articles that talk about the heartbreaking tension of the game, right? Not the heartbreaking disaster next door. They're using these metaphors for the actual game themselves. Um, or they things like when the smoke cleared, referring to the, the the battle of the game. You know, again, 
not that bodies themselves haven't burned next door. So there's just sort of like this inbuilt oblivion to what, you know, from our standards today, it seems so obvious that this is a, a tragedy. This tragedy is part of the game. And there's a, there's some, they're all tied up and maybe you should address them as one. And as another example, there's articles like, you know, a week later about how this was the most profitable big game uh, for the two sides yet. Like each, each side netted something like um, $300,000 in modern terms, which, you know, like a good clear. And the articles don't say things like, and maybe we should have a little fundraiser or some of that should go towards these families who are now bereft, who've lost lots of things, who have largely, I think, were pretty working class. And it's not like they had a lot of resources. So it's just not even there. Um, wow. If you read like the Stanford student newspaper and the Berkeley student newspaper from the, the next edition about they have their full front pages are about the football game. There's not even a mention of, of death. You know, yearbooks months later talk about like the glory of this day. Um, so it's really, there's something a lot deeper that really at play here that I think goes beyond like, you know, naming, for example, the superintendent of the glassworks as being at mm -hmm. fault. There's just a cultural ethos where, I don't know, like life is cheaper and people have a very narrow sense of, I guess, causality and their implication in things that happen near them. Yeah. Um, well, Sam, thank you so much for um, joining us today and uh, helping us uh, remember this terrible tragedy that we should continue to remember. Or start. In many At cases. least. Exactly. <laughs> At the very least. <laughs> Thanks so much, Sam. If you'd like to hear our post-interview discussion and final verdict, head over to Patreon and subscribe. Your support is greatly appreciated. Check out our show notes for a link or head over to patreon.com slash The Alarmist. From The Alarmist, we wish all of the Alarmy a happy Thanksgiving. And stay tuned because next week we'll be discussing The Boy Living in the Walls. The Alarmist. Powered by ACAST. 
No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.